You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, we hosted a boo bash this week, and it was, it was funny because Amazon deliveries start showing up, and it's boxes of full-size candy bars. And I asked Heather, like, what are you doing? Why are you buying full-size candy bars? She goes, well, the pastor said that we're supposed to give out good candy. And I was like, well, I didn't say we had to spend that much on candy. I mean, come on, let's be wise, right? But she got the good stuff. And then uh, we, uh, we had a fire pit on the driveway and, and uh, the kids were coming by. And I told Heather, I said, well, I'll make you a bet. We're gonna see some of these kids like four or five times because we're giving out the big candy bars. And kids were walking around going, that's the good house. So I didn't get TP'd because I mean, we were giving out full-size candy bars. I don't know about y'all, but uh, uh, it was a fun time. So thank you to all who hosted that and man, just been lights in your community and your neighborhood. So it was a good thing. So I want to, I just want to put this out there that next week we're having a baptism uh, celebration. And so if you have not been baptized, and I want to just encourage you that that's a, it's a huge step of obedience that we want to celebrate with you. And you can get signed up. We'll do a class, but but I want to invite you to get baptized if you've never been baptized, um, because that's just a way that we celebrate as a family the life change that that's already happened in you. And uh, so uh, get signed up for that. We're starting a new series today called Cultivate. And this is one I'm excited about because we're, we're going to be working through the fruit of the Spirit. That's one thing God's been working on us uh, about is, is, is more of Him, right? I mean, that's, that's ultimately what we want. And when I was studying through fruit of the Spirit, uh, it, just really, it just really struck me that, that it's interesting that we'll pray for more of something. Like we, the, the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace, patience kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control against these things are no law. And so what we do is we end up praying for elements of the fruit, you know, and so we kind of separate like a fruit is peace and a fruit is, is love. And, but you got to look in context, it says the fruit, not the fruits. And so what, we, what I've, I've really learned is when I, when I want more peace, I don't pray for more peace. I pray for more of him. I pray for more of God in my life. I say, I want you more. Because these ultimately are a shape or a reflection of his character that he wants to shape us in. And so these are attributes of his character that, that when we start looking at our life in comparison to him, then we start saying, I, I know I'm lacking in some of these areas, but it's not so much that we're lacking peace or joy. We're lacking a more fulfillment of the spirit in our life. And so when we start looking at these, I want to kind of break these down a little bit to see those attributes of God's character. Because that's really what the fruit is. That's really what the Holy Spirit is given to us to do, to lead us into truth and to grow us and shape us into the image of Christ. That's the ultimate goal. And, and so when we start this journey with, with Jesus and we give our life to him, it begins a process in us. And, and God wants us to be growing. He wants us to be producing. And he wants the world to see something different about our life. And it's a reflection of his character. The other day, Heather and I were out to lunch and... We're sitting in the restaurant, and outside of the restaurant's this little courtyard, and they had some really cool-looking trees. And, and Heather just makes the comment, I wonder what kind of trees those are. And so as the all-knowing man, you know, I start guessing, right? So I was like, well, it's not an oak. I said, maybe that's an elm tree. So she hits the phone. Nope, it's not an elm tree. It's like, how do you know? Well, here's a picture of an elm leaf. That's not an elm leaf. Oh, great. So now I'm up to, I, it's not just me against my wife now. It's me against Google. So... 
you know, I decide to, okay, well, I'm going to bring some, something to the fight. So, so I pull out my phone and I just type in Google, what kind of tree is this? And, and so, I mean, because so, well, their algorithms are getting really good now, right? And so all of a sudden, all the Google algorithms, it picks my location, it goes back and checks records, and it tells me, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, what? No, <laughs> not yet, but it's coming. I can assure you that. But then I found this website, and it says, do you know, know what kind of tree, you want to know what kind of tree you're looking at? Answer these questions, and, we'll, and it'll tell you. So I was like, all right, let's give it a shot. So I answered like, I'm, I'm like four questions in, and it comes up and goes, that's a ginkgo biloba tree. I was like, I didn't know ginkgo biloba grew on trees. You know, I thought it was a, I, I don't even know what I thought it was. I think I've seen it in the herb store. But, but uh, I was like, that's a, gink-. I goes, that's a ginkgo biloba tree. So she checks me. She goes, that's the leaf. That's right. And, and it's just amazing. I'm keeping that website because I'm going to impress guys when we go on the camping trip. I'll be like, oh, that right there, that would be a ginkgo biloba tree. That's a native tree to the Texas region. Anyway, makes me feel smarter. You know, Google helps me. You know, I'd be stupid without Google, honestly. But um, it got me thinking that, that, you know, the world looks at us, looks at a Christ follower, somebody who, who claims to be a Christian and, and wonders, what kind of tree are you? You know, and they're kind of putting us through some filters. Like, do I see anything different in your life? Do I, is there something that, that stands out in you that really makes this following Jesus something I want to even look at or even consider? I mean, somebody who's, who's, who's not curious about Jesus, do they see our life and go, there's something there that piques my curiosity? Or somebody who's curious about Jesus, do they look at our life and go, man, there's just something that, that, that your belief and, and, and how you operate. And so the world is constantly looking at us, putting us through filters. What kind of tree are you and what are we producing? I mean, I want to be a tree like it's talked about in Psalm chapter 1. You know, Psalm 1 verse 3, it's talking about blessed is a man um, who, who doesn't sit in the counsel of the wicked or in the seat of, of sinners, stand in the way of sinners. But I love verse 3 when it says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit. In, and its leaf does not wither, but it says it yields fruit in season. That's a difficult one for us to get because we think it's automatic. I mean, we're used to a drive-through culture. I mean, drive-throughs, their goal is to have you from order to pulling away in, in less than 45 seconds. I mean, so we go up, we speak in this microphone what we want to eat, and 45 seconds later, we're driving away with our meal. We, we, we've, we've reduced the things of God down to something like that. And God doesn't necessarily work that way. He says there's season. God works in season. He's working in us. And so what we have to realize is there's something we have to be planted in. And we're planted in in the word of God. We're planted by the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is beginning to work in us to produce things. It takes time to do that. Some of y'all, I tell you this, don't pray for patience because you're gonna learn it, right? But patience... Get this, takes time to develop. The one we're talking about today, faithfulness. Faithfulness takes a a long time to develop. I read one quote this week that said, faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. So it's not not as though we can say, hey, I've, I've got about three days into this thing and I've been faithful. No, you've got three days into something. You've barely started. And I see so many people give up on faith because, because they're missing that attribute of God's character to let the Holy Spirit give us the ability to stay consistent and be faithful. I mean, think about some of the stuff you've been praying for. 
I mean, I, I, I'll talk to people and they go, I've been praying for this for like, like two weeks and nothing's happened. I remember when I was a kid, I, I, it's weird. I was eating something with mustard on it the other day. And, and you know how food will bring back a memory? All of a sudden, I remember back in elementary school, we did this experiment where we grew mustard seeds. And I didn't like mustard before I did that because I thought it was, I was a kid, right? I thought it was spicy, but I didn't like mustard. But we grew our own mustard seeds and then we made mustard. And I was like, I, I made that. I, made, I can eat that now. And now I like mustard. But I started thinking, you know, I remember watching in class, you have to take the time. And some of your kids have done that. Maybe in the daycare, you know, you get the little plastic cup with the dirt in it. And they, they, they put the, the seed in there. And after a couple of days, this little thing breaks the surface. I mean, think about as a child, we're watching this. And we go, I've got, I've got the dirt. I put water in it. I put the seed in it. Why is there nothing happening? And I grew up with a garden. My, my grandfather had a, this massive garden, and I remember eating fresh tomatoes. And, and for people who say they don't like tomatoes, I would counter this. Have you had a real one? Not a gassed one from a truck, but a real tomato that's, that was planted in the ground, that grew up, that got to its fullness of ripe, and then you get to eat it? It's, it's a totally different flavor. And so that, that, that's the kind of vegetables and fruit I grew up eating. And, and, and so... I remember putting that in the garden and you put that in the spring and you start going, I can't wait for tomatoes. I can't wait for corn. But it doesn't happen instantly. It takes the season, right? I mean, look, look, look at Galatians chapter five. Um, in Galatians five, uh, the, the man named Paul is writing this and he, he's talking about this idea of keeping in step with the spirit. He's saying if we, if we walk in step with the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and as he's going through this section, as he's going through this passage, he gives, he gives a, a counterbalance. He says, you know, there's works of the flesh. There, there's things that we just do. But then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law because earlier he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. That means there's grace at work in our life. It means that, that we don't go under the bar of the law. Grace gets us over the bar of the law. And so this grace working in our life and this grace is producing something in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the things that we want, the things we want to manufacture in our life, those have been nailed to the cross. Those are things that we leave behind, that we walk away from. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So there's, there's, a, there's a whole premise here that he's teaching us about this fruit of the Spirit and what God wants to grow and produce in our life. And he says, there's things that we as people, as human beings who are born broken and born sinful, there's things that we manufacture. And that ultimately leads to death. He's like, there's deceit, idolatry, different forms of, of, of sexual morality, all of these things. He says, that's what we can produce. We manufacture the works of the flesh, but the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. The difference between the two, you cannot manufacture fruit. It has to be cultivated. And to be cultivated, it has to have the right environment. He tells us that it's those who belong to Christ Jesus. When we crucify our passions and desires, which means we've, we've, we've laid our life on the line, that, that in his crucifixion, we say, 
I have too. I have been crucified. My desires, my flesh, all that I count dead. It's what Jesus said. If any man is gonna follow me, what? Let him deny himself and take up his cross. What that means is all of my wants and my desires and my ability to manufacture things in my life has to be put to death. And that's the right environment for the Holy Spirit to come in because we've said, my life is not my own. I belong to you, Jesus. You produce in me. You work in me. And in that right environment means this. It's, it's going back, you even look at the parable of the sower where it has to be the right soil. I mean, Jesus gave a parable. He's like, he, the man threw some seeds. Some went on the rock, some went on the path, some went in the, in the brush and the briars, and some fell on good soil. The Holy Spirit wants to work on our hearts so that our life becomes good soil. And we know this, that, that not, it just doesn't take good soil. There has to be some nurturing to that. I mean, Heather's, Heather's parents have, have some land in West Texas, and right now um, they're waiting to get the, the fall stuff planted. The, the soil is right. It's been plowed. It's good soil. But there hasn't been enough water to be able to put the seed in the ground. So we've got to have the right soil. We've got to have the water, right? And then, <laughs> this is one we don't like, then you need the fertilizer. And, and, and some of y'all got a lot of fertilizer in your life, Right? You're like, look, I'm good on the fertilizer. Okay, let's time out, you know, stop, stop that truck, you know. But it takes this environment. And too much of anything is, is gonna be a problem, right? Because we're, we're like, just bring it all, God, bring it all. I want it now. And so what we'll do is we'll try to pour water on it. I remember as a kid, you know, doing the little experiment where you grow something in the plastic cup, like it needs more water. And so you got, basically you have, you have water with dirt floating on it and the seed's somewhere in there, right? I mean, we had a tree on the property die and when they came to look at it, they said it died because it's getting too much water. So too much. So we've got to be in the right environment and there's gotta be the right things going on in our life. And so the, this idea of faithfulness, for faithfulness to grow and this long obedience in the same direction means we've got to be planted. We've got to be firm. We've got to be rooted by the stream so that as the Holy Spirit works in us, it's producing fruit in the season and it begins to work on us. And faithfulness can be challenging this element of God's character because it has to be built on trust. I mean, for us to be faithful in anything, there has to be a foundation of trust at work in our life. And so what does that look like? I mean, for if, if the Holy Spirit's producing in our life and one of the things that's being produced is a, is a character reflection of the faithfulness of God, what does that look like to us? Because we're like, okay, I get it. I get trees and fruit and all that. That's good. But, but what does that practically look like in my life? How do I exhibit faithfulness? How do I know if my faithfulness is growing? How do I know if the Holy Spirit's really cultivating in that area? And there's a parable I want us to look at in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. And this is, a, this is a, an interesting parable that Jesus teaches because Jesus has an ability to teach in a way that, that he's just a masterful teacher. He'll tell a parable and what he'll do is he'll take a story and he'll illustrate a point very clearly through the story. And as he's teaching this, this parable, he's given us an understanding of what faithfulness looks like. So it starts out in verse 14. It says, for it will be like, this is Jesus talking, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So he's leaving and he's saying, I'm giving, I'm, I'm entrusting 
you my property. I'm giving you some, some care over my property. You're going to take care of it. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So the guy that got five talents went and he started trading. He started, he started working. He started making, get this, he had to make decisions with who he's going to trade and how he's going to trade, and he made five talents more. So he also who had the two talents made two talents more. He put that money to work. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let me stop there because we kind of look at that and go, okay, well, this guy got five of something, this guy got two of something, and this guy got one of something. So we automatically start thinking, well, the guy that got one, you know, he was automatically at a disadvantage. Well, that's not the case because as God gave to each according to his ability. But let me, let, me, let me illustrate something. If you look in your footnotes, a talent is this. It's equivalent to 20 years' salary. So think about it. Let me just give you an example. If you make $50,000 a year, 20 times that is a million bucks. So to one, he gave $5 million. To another, he gave $2 million. To another, he gave $1 million. I don't know about you, but if I'm the one talent guy, I'm still happy, right? I mean, if I walked out of here with a million bucks, I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. And so we start going, well, you only got one. No, you've got to think about the scope of what that one consists of. And God gave each according to his, his ability. That's the wisdom of God. Because God knows if I give you too much, then I can kill you, right? Too much water, tree dies. If I give you too much, it will crush you. You will not be able to handle the responsibility. Some of us don't have what we're praying for because God knows our real character. We can't handle it. If he gave you this, it would crush you. And so what God's doing is he's setting each one of them up, not for failure, but for success. Because I know what he knows what you can be faithful with. So I'm gonna give you what I know you can be faithful with, but now it's in your court. Now you got something to do with it. The one who gets the five million, man, he goes and he starts putting it to work. He's trading. I mean, they didn't have the stock market back then. I don't know what he's trading. Maybe he's like, hey, I'll invest in your barley company. You know, but he starts putting this to work. He's out. He's, he's looking for opportunities to take care of what he's been given. He's been entrusted the master's property. It's not his. The master gave it to him, right, to care for. So I want to be a good steward. I want to be faithful to my master. I want to be somebody that when I stand up and give an account, I'm like, look, what I put it to work, and here's some more. And so that's, that's where we live. The very next verse, chapter, verse 19, is what's coming. We live between 18 and 19. And in verse 19, it says, uh, it says this, now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So, so they both got the same reward. He, the master didn't say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reward you on an amount based on what you did. He's like, enter into the reward. Enter into the joy of your master. 
well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with this. You've been faithful with this. You're going to be faithful with more. You've shown me that there's character that you have that reflects mine, and so you're going to get rewarded. It's not about the amount. It's about the opportunity, right? It's about the obedience, I mean, that's what we talk about when we talk about giving in, in, in the church and, and things like that. And a lot of people get weird. And, and here's what I say. You hear God and you be obedient with what God's asking you to do. We don't give equal amounts, but we give equal sacrifice. They both went and put it to work. They both went and took every opportunity to bring something back. He also who had received the one talent came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So like you, 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 you missed an opportunity. It, it's, it, again, it took a lot of work to do what this guy did. Think about it. He had to go find a shovel, right? Maybe he borrowed it from his neighbor and never returned it. That's happened to me. But he's got to go out. He has to expend the energy and the work to dig the hole. To cover it up and think about it, because you know it's one talent. So we think, oh, it's just a little scooper, and you put the talent in the ground. No, we're talking about twenty years' wages. They didn't have the paper bills; they had coins, and so he's having to dig a hole big enough to fill twenty years' salary in a hole. That's no small hole. He's got to dig. He probably didn't want to tell anybody about it because he was trying to protect it. If he's afraid of his master, he's wanting to protect it. So he goes out in secret. He goes out in quiet at night. He's got to dig this hole. He puts it all in and he covers it up. He's got to make it look like nothing's been dug there, right? And so he's working. And get this, he has to sit and watch that. Because if he's operating in fear, he's got to watch what he buried to make sure when the master comes back, I can give him back what's his. I almost think he had to work harder to bury it than to go put it to work. And when you read the, the New Living Translation of this, when the, when the master said, you knew I was a hard man, the New Living Translation inserts two letters. If you knew I was a hard man. So if, if you really think that's who I am, if you think I'm that hard of a, of a leader, if I'm that hard of a master, then what you should have done was at least put it in the bank because you wouldn't have to expend all that energy and bury it and protect it, but put it on them. So then when I came back, at least I'd get some interest on it. At least there was some opportunity for growth in it. But what I love about this, the master's not concerned about the money. He's concerned about the motivation of the servant. Because he didn't say to the one, hey, hey, I gave you five. What, what did you mean? I made five more. Oh, okay, so now I have 10. No, what did the master say? You have 10. Listen to this. Listen to this. He goes on because he says, you wicked and slothful servant. He says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. From, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What he's saying is that there's, you're going to deal with some sadness here because you realize you missed the opportunity. But I love that the master didn't say, this is my money. So I, I left you guys 
eight talents. What do I get back? No, I gave you five. You made five more. You've got 10. You've got 10. You got two. Now you have four. You've got four. You weren't faithful with the one, so the one that you have, I can't trust you with that because you, you won't seize the opportunities to put that to work. Your, your motivation is not pure, so I'm giving that to the one that has the 10, so now he's got 11. It's an interesting story that Jesus is teaching us about faithfulness. Because a lot of us will stop and, and we're like, I, I can't be faithful because I don't have enough. I'd be more, I mean, we all reconcile this. If I had this, I could be more faithful. If I made more money, I could be more faithful in giving. If I had more time, I'd be faithful in giving God time to serve people around me. If I had, and we get into this thing, I think this is a trap that the enemy gets us in. If I had, then I would. If I had, then I would. But the problem is, if it's a, if it's a character attribute that, that's, that's at work in us, if we're lacking some of the character of God and we're lacking the faithfulness, that even if we have, we won't. And what God's looking for in us is a reflection of himself and say, it's, it's, it's the heart, it's the motivation, it's not an amount. It's what I've given you to be faithful with. And God has given us an incredible treasure around us. What are we doing with it? Are we using it or are we burying it? Because to bury it means you miss opportunities. If you bury it, you're saying, I don't want to use it. And if you don't use it, you lose it, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like muscle strength. If you're, if you're not working out, then you lose that strength in the muscle. Faith is like that. If you're not using your faith, you're losing your faith. Because there's, there's that element of trust. And so when we look at what, what, what is being produced in us through the character of God and what does faithfulness look like, it, it looks like this. It's a belief in God and a trust that he always has my best interest at heart. So, so what's being, honestly, what's being produced actually is more faith. So I don't possess the ability to be faithful, like long-term, same direction. That has to be the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And what the Holy Spirit is producing in my life is really a deeper belief, a deeper trust, ultimately more faith. Because what is faith? Faith faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I haven't seen the fruit yet, but I'm staying faithful on the trajectory of producing, right? It's, it's leaving the, the, the instant gratification mentality behind and looking at the long game. I mean, I, I remember thinking when Heather and I first got married, I was like, you'd run across people, you know, they'd do this, we'd go to weddings and they'd have the dance floor going and they're like, so we're doing the dance. If you've been married over five years, stay on the dance floor. If you've been married over 10 years, stay on the dance floor. If you've been married over 50, and they start getting these numbers. And I'm like, 25 years, that just seems like so long. <laughs> and I'm, we're about to celebrate 25 years. I look at my parents. They passed 50 years. You don't do that with instant gratification. 
you have to have a belief and trust. We don't gain all of this, this time and, and experience with God by looking at instant gratification. Because when we realize that he has our best interest at heart, it begins, and he is faithful, he can see longer than we can. Most of the time, the, the interest and the desires of our heart are based on the moment. I mean, I got a bill due, my interest and my desires, I need money to pay that bill. I'm waiting on tests from the doctor, so my, my, my interest right now is, is that to be a clean bill of health. And, and so most of our desires happen in the moment. And, and what, what we've got to do is we've got to crucify those passions and desires. We say, Jesus, I'm nailing those to the cross. That's not me anymore. It's you. You produce the long term in me. The faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How are we hearing the word of God? We're like a tree that is planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. We're planted in the word of God. The Holy Spirit is working in us to lead us into truth and to continue to wash us with that truth, right? And so faithfulness, it's beautiful. It's, just kind, of, it's kind of like compounding. It's kind of like the guy who's putting the five to work it's almost like compounding the interest on it, that it just, man, faithfulness starts building and building and building. And, and that's, where, that's where the Holy Spirit is like, it, it's what I'm producing in you. You have the ability to be faithful because I'm shaping you in the character of God who is at his core faithful. In order for the Holy Spirit to produce something in us, it has to come from a source, right? The Holy Spirit will not produce faithfulness in us if we don't have a connected source of faithfulness. God is faithful. Therefore, he can produce faithfulness in us. And you can, you can, you can lay this out with everyone that's listed in the fruit of the Spirit. God is love. Therefore, we have a pure foundation of love from which to love others. So it leads me to this, this belief and trust, and it just kind of anchors me. And, and, and trust is an interesting thing because sometimes we wrestle with trust. We wrestle, you know, we talk about this in, in church. Can you trust God with that? Are you trusting God with that? Do you trust God? Let me ask you this. Have you ever stopped to realize that God trusts you? I mean, that... Jesus said, it's like this. It's like a master going on a long journey and he entrusted his property to his servants. That God looks at you and he says, I'm trusting you with this. He trusts you with your spouse. He trusts you with your kids. He trusts you with your finances. He trusts you with your health decisions. He trusts you to manage these things, not bury them, but put them to work. He trusts you to seize every opportunity to be faithful with what he's trusted you. It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? You know, because we're like, well, can you trust me with more? <laughs> Dear God, I'm good on the kids. I got plenty of kids. Can you trust me with more money? He's like, show me. Show me. You've been faithful with a little. Now you'll be faithful over much. What is that? What is he basing that on? He's basing it on our faithfulness, our obedience, and what we do with what he's trusted us with. 
And when, when I start to have that foundation of trust, what it does is it leads me to make actions. I, I start acting and making decisions based on what's true and what's right. This third servant had a distorted view. I knew you to be a hard man. And it's amazing that, that, that we can get that kind of view of God, that, that we no, no, God's just a judgmental and he's just out for wrath and he's gonna kill everybody. And, I mean, it's amazing how people get that view, but they have that view. And, and God's like, okay, if you're gonna see me as judge, I will be your judge. But I've provided every opportunity for you to see me as grace and his name is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who gave his life on a cross who bled and died so that you and I do not experience God as judge, but as savior, as redeemer, as father. Not master, but father. I talk to people who have different views of God and I love those conversations. I don't love arguing those, I just like hearing stories. And like, would, would you engage a conversation on that? I was talking to one young man and he shared with me that he's an atheist. I was like, that's interesting. I said, you know, you had to make a decision, right? You had to make a conscious decision for that to be your, your faith. You know, I'm putting my faith in nothing. But just like, and he kind of looks at me. I said, well, I had to make a decision. I, I have a relationship with Jesus. And he goes, well, I don't like, organi- I don't like organized religion. I said, like, well, do you like disorganized religion? You know, just putting that out there. But I said, I don't like religion either. I got a relationship with Jesus but I had to make a conscious decision to go through that. I had to reconcile that I'm a sinner, that I need grace, that I can't get it on my own, and that Jesus gave his life for me so that I could have freedom, forgiveness, and eternal life. I had to reconcile that decision. So help me, I I just wanna hear your story. How did you reconcile a decision to become an atheist? Well, I'm angry at God. How can you be angry at something you don't believe in? I don't get it, but I'm just saying. But I find that to be the case. Most people won't say, that, well, I'm an atheist because I'm angry. Here it is. They've experienced a disappointment with God. And can I, can I say that, that to every person that says I've experienced disappointment with God, I have to be honest, right? And say, me too. But when I've experienced that disappointment, I I tend to look at my worldview. I tend to look from my lens. And what am I doing? I'm in the instant gratification mind, right? I asked you, God, to do this, and you didn't do it. I mean, we look at God as like, you're you're my cosmic genie, right? If If you're God, then give me this. God's like, I am God, and I'm not giving you that. But we get angry with God and that shapes our view of God and that gets us out of what's not right and what's not true. I mean, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So so there's truth in him. He is what's right. He is the righteousness of God. In Jesus, all the fullness of the deity of God was pleased to dwell. That's what we read in Colossians 1. He is the fullness of righteousness. He's the fullness of truth. And when we're angry at him, it distorts our view and and how we perceive him. And then we make actions based on that perception. Or maybe you're just passive towards God. Like, you know, I just don't want to deal with it. I just don't want, you know, I know, yeah, there's there's probably a God out there. And and man, I'll deal with that when the day comes. But right now I'm just enjoying life. And I don't want to have to, you know, see, I see the fruit that you Christians produce. And you're like, you have to sacrifice things. And like, you're giving your time to other people. And you're giving money into into the kingdom. And you're, 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 
you're doing these things. You gotta be nice. And, and I mean, I had one guy tell me, he said, I'm not interested in Jesus because I love being selfish. At least he's honest, right? But that shapes our view. And then we act based on that view. This third servant had a distorted view. If you, if that, if, if you really believe that, then you should have done this, is what he says to him. But the first two had a right view. You've trusted me with this. I'm going to do something with it. And they take actions based on what's right and what's true. Because all three of them, the two faithful and the one unfaithful, all had this in common. They had an understanding that they will be held accountable. I mean, we, we have to realize that that. Our actions speak about our foundation of belief, right? Because faithfulness produces in us belief and trust. And that, that belief and trust then leads me to take action. And that action always has the reminder that I'm going to give an account. We live between verse 18 and 19, I said. He's given it to us. He's trusted us with it. Are we burying it? Are we seizing every opportunity to use it? Because 19 is coming when we'll stand before him and we'll give an account. In Romans, it says that that each one of us will give an account before God. We will all stand before God. I I, want to stand before him and I don't want to be blowing the dirt off of what he gave me. (laughs) Shining it up. Here you go. I want to be used up. I'm going to be washed out. I want to be like, look, you gave me. You gave me this, and you, I, I know you gave me what I could handle, and, and, but I had to trust you with it. I lost some. I gained some. I mean, think about in trading, that, that man with five and the man with two. In trading, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, right? I mean, I, 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 didn't, I missed some opportunities. I screwed some opportunities up. But you know what? I still, I still kept putting it to work. I kept putting it to work. I, I, here's what I believe about the character of God because I've seen it over and over in the word that even if I go, you gave me five and man, I was using it, but I lost it all. He's still gonna say, at least you tried to do something with what I gave you. I really think God would rather me come and go, I got none left, but I used every opportunity than to say, I buried it and here it is back. It's not that he wants that back, but he wants us. He wants us operating in faithfulness and obedience with accountability. So I just want to ask you, what, what, what's, what's keeping you from being fully faithful to Jesus? What, what have you buried? Last night I had, I had somebody come up to me with tears in their eyes. And they said, I realized I've been burying this ministry idea that God's given me for 15 years. And she said, I I heard God really clearly tell me it's time to get the shovel out and uncover it and start working in it. What What has God trusted you with that you've buried and you're spending so much energy trying to protect it? When God says, just just let's uncover it, let's unbury it, let's get that thing out of the ground. 
Let's get that thing out of the back of your mind that I put there all those years ago. Let's get that thing working because there, there's, some, there's some return on what I've trusted you with. There's people that need to hear your story. There's people that need to hear about the grace and the motivation that you have now to, to put what I've given you, what I've trusted you with to work. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need your grace. I'm, I'm giving you this. I, you gave it to me and I buried it. I'm asking you to help me unbury it. And you know what? The character of God is this. He will help us uncover it because he doesn't want it to stay in the ground. God doesn't like to leave things in the ground. He only left Jesus there for three days. So let's uncover it and let's get it to work. Father, we love you and we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you who called us to these things are faithful, that you who trust us with the things in our life are trustworthy. And so we, 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 we ask you for the grace to be at work in our life. Show us the areas where we have buried what you have given us, what you've trusted us with. God, give us the courage to uncover it and start putting it to work, to seize those opportunities. Would you set us free from a fear of failure? Would you set us free from a, a distorted image and view of who you really are? And would you open our eyes to see you who is right and true? and to trust you with everything you've trusted to us. May we work in such a way that we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.